And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. I'm joined today by the Chris Hively, who was one of the co-founders of MapQuest. He's really big in the entrepreneur space, as, as you'll see him in a lot of different places. Um, he has an awesome new book that we're going to talk about today called Build the Fort. And I think we're especially going to talk today about building ecosystems for entrepreneurs, um, which I think are super important. Um, that's the only way that any, any of these other cities will ever be the next Silicon Valley is, is by building the ecosystem and, and the founders and the success within them. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Please visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to talk uh, founders and shit. <laughs> that, is, that is the best way ever to put it. So I'm, I'm hoping you have like a map that could help us build an ecosystem. Do you happen to have any maps? Yeah, I tell people that there's a funny little line that we came up with, which is there's not a map, but maybe there's a compass. There you go. So, um, I mean, I guess I have to ask you briefly about MapQuest and, and that background. And was that like 20 years ago now? How long ago was was the MapQuest journey? So the MapQuest URL, the website, uh, was launched in February of 96. 96. So we're, we're at 26 to 7 years. Um, but the MapQuest story starts, you know, a good seven, eight years before that. Oh, wow. Even even back into the early 90s. Yeah, because like a lot of things, it was just a series of pivots that landed us on this brand new thing called the worldwide interweb, right? Yeah. Um, it didn't start as an internet site. It started with, you know, helping to build technology to build better routing for um, AAA and, you know, all the auto clubs. Maybe not you, but your parents use AAA yeah. to go from Kansas City down to Dollywood or whatever, wherever you were heading. Um, and uh, it started there and then it was CD-ROMs for consumers. And eventually it just ended up, uh, we we launched MapQuest, the website, and it just took off. So that's where the then, journey was just following a series of technology. And then was it sold to AOL? Is that who acquired it? Yeah, so we took it public first. I left the board right before that because they needed adults on a board of directors to take it public. Uh, I'm sure you've witnessed that a few times. And yep. uh, I was probably 35, 36. Um, they took it public and then AOL bought it off the public markets a year later for $1.2 okay. okay. And then most all younger people today have never heard of it. <laughs> You know, I, I did a I did a keynote a few weeks ago and afterwards a bunch of people came up, including two college kids. One of my buddies was standing next to me and they said, you know, hey, did you did you any have any big exits? And I said, well, this thing called MapQuest and, you know, crickets. Yeah. And, and my buddy's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I, I see it everywhere. Twenty five, twenty eight or younger. 
never heard Very of good it. Very good chance they've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely used it, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, 20, 25 years ago for sure. Um, but it's just amazing how things change with, in technology. And and you joked before we started recording that you hadn't used it for a long time either. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, Google Maps rocks. You know, by, yeah. by, by the way, Google Maps was launched nine years after MapQuest. Yeah. It just goes to show that, you know, you've got to continue to invest in innovation and grow the ecosystem, which is what we're here to talk about today. So we, we should we should probably talk about that and um, building ecosystems in different cities. And I guess my first point for you is you're in North Carolina, right? That's and, correct. And you're not in Silicon Valley or New York or all these places. So how, how did you end up as a serial entrepreneur in, in North Carolina? And, and I'd love to hear more about the ecosystem there. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to share. So, you know, MapQuest, by the way, was birthed in um, one of the largest startup hubs in the world, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. Home to about 55,000 Amish people. Um, and so, Matt, I've never lived in Silicon Valley, though I've spent countless days and hours and airplane flights there. I've never lived in New York City or Boston. So I've always operated in what you might refer to as like tier two or second level cities. Me too. Um, I'm happy to be kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Um, it has its advantages. It has its challenges, but you know, every place does, but you know, that's where my muscles have been built. Not unlike you in Kansas city. So, uh, you know, uh, we were in Chicago 10 years, took me 10 years to figure out that it's really cold about eight months of the year and, and gray. <laughs> Uh, you get a little of that in KC. Um, so I moved to North Carolina about 16 years ago, primarily for sun. Uh, there was also an ecosystem called the Research Triangle Park that many of us have heard about. And uh, I said, well, that sounds like a pretty good place. It's about two hours from the beach. Let's just pick up and see how that works. Um, so the, the, the interesting ecosystem story for me starts with Y Combinator and Techstars. And 2009, I'm reading about, you know, they had both launched in 07. And by 2009, we're starting to read about their programs. And Matt, I just said, if one startup is fun, then 10 at a time should be a complete blast. <laughs> or a complete nightmare. Yeah. Well, it's, it's their nightmares, not yeah, mine. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, ultimately, as the founder, it's your company. I just get to, I still sleep the same, right? So were you ever involved in, in those programs? Yeah, so I was very lucky um, to be introduced to David Cohen um, and Brad Feld, two of the four founders of Techstars. And in 09, they gave so freely of their time to me. Um, they, you know, David Cohen kind of gave me their playbook for how to run an accelerator. And Brad was starting to think about what makes up for a community. And he shared that freely over a series of conversations. Um, I then put my own accelerator into play, um, two different ones between uh, 2010 and 2016. I personally invested in about 42 companies um, through our accelerator and probably another eight um, separately. And uh, during that time, you start learning about not just how to do your thing called the accelerator, which was a blast, by the way. Uh, I never felt it was a hassle. I just, I loved, I, I was so in my element, Matt. Um, but I also kept in touch with those those guys, and I've always admired. You know, Brad's a prolific writer, and you know, doesn't he own a you know? Didn't he have an entrepreneur house in KC for a while at some yes, point? Yes, yes. Right? So 
you know, I've become very good friends with both of them. And uh, that's kind of the seeds of how my kind of startup community slash entrepreneurial ecosystem stuff got started. And I applied it for and still do for 10 to 12 years in Raleigh, Durham. So you have your own accelerator in in Raleigh there? I did until 2016. Okay. Um, so we still have those 42 investments that we're managing, but uh, we haven't been active. Frankly, the ecosystem grew up very quickly around us and we weren't that needed anymore. So are there other accelerators that, that popped up instead? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what's, you know, yeah, yes. Uh, I, th- I would consider Raleigh-Durham a clear top 10 U.S. Um, you know, the, the arc has been fast and furious and, you know, two or three unicorns. Uh, we, we, it's been, it's been a great journey over the last 10, 12 years. Have there been some companies that were founded there that we would know? You know, it all depends how, how geeky we want to get. Uh, we had a company called Channel Advisor, which has been public for a number of years that helps eBay resellers, you know, manage that better. It's a billion dollar company. Um, we have, uh, 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 Republic Wireless, which spun out of another company, which does uh, kind of Wi-Fi, um, you know, phone uh, okay. stuff. It's now bought by someone else recently. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, you know, depends on how geeky and uh, geeky you want to get, you know, good, good exits, a number of like really good 200, 300 million dollar exits, which for an emerging ecosystem is very powerful. Yeah. Um, so they may not be as well known, but they're very good ecosystem drivers. Well, and I think that's the key is you mentioned ecosystem. So my my first company we sold in 2011 uh, to autotrader.com, which is owned by Cox Automotive. And uh, we had about 300 employees here in Kansas City when we sold it. And now, you know, 10 years later, Kansas City is kind of a hub to automotive technology companies. And it, it has built that ecosystem. And so if you were wanting to hire people today, and from wherever you are in the United States, like, oh, I need salespeople that know how to sell to car dealerships or whatever. Like, you'd be like, who lives in Kansas City that worked at these companies, right? And that's where those ecosystems build. And um, several of the people that I worked with and my first company went on and started other companies. One of them I was the first investor in, and that company's worth like over $50 million and doing fantastic. Um and so that that's what that's how those ecosystems get built, right? You have one success that leads to other successes and building up the talent and all that kind of stuff, which sounds like that that has been one of your favorite things to do over the last many years. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to get too squishy on you, but you know, part of my work in the last twelve years in Raleigh Durham, but more importantly, the six years I've spent in the last six years flying around the world helping ecosystem leaders kind of do a better job of, of building their ecosystem is now I get to impact thousands of entrepreneurs right through that effort, as opposed to just a handful that I invested in or went through my accelerator or the one that I was doing. And that's uh, at this stage in my life and career, that feels really darn good. Um, The other thing I would add is no one knows how to do it. So it's still like that blank sheet of paper that we both enjoy. So I'm still figuring out a lot and uh, yeah. So if somebody from Kansas City calls you and says, hey, Chris, can you come out and help us build our ecosystem? Like, what do you do? I get on an airplane and I come out and help them. <laughs> you know, I we I just start, you know, talking to them about what's working, what's not working. Um, between 2017 and 2021, I joined Brad and David at Techstars and we created a new business under the umbrella of Techstars. 
um, around ecosystem development. We kind of build a playbook recipe. It's more of a mindset, you know, cause there's not an exact thing that works for every community and engaged with 15 cities around the world and learned a lot. Um, so, you know, we have a process that we bring in. I still do it on a small project basis just by myself. Um, cause I'm just sitting on airplanes. was not that much fun anymore at my advanced age. But uh, yeah, I, I tell them, I say, what's what's working? What's not working? Who's who's doing good stuff? Who's who's in the way? And how can I help maybe break some of those log jams? Log jams of thought, log, log jams of activities, those kind of things. Are there usually like recurring problems that all the cities have? You know, maybe lack of talent or lack of corporate support to the startups or like, are, are there certain themes you always see? Yeah, I, I jokingly say um, uh, same problems, different weather. <laughs> yeah. And so most of it's mindset. So, you know, the book, um, the current book, Build the Fort, the Start a Community Builders Field Guide is all about kind of trying to inject a, a kind of a, a thought process, a mindset, maybe even a framework about how to think about your role in that. And that uh, there's a couple principles that are really important. The problem in many places, let's just be honest, the problem in every place to a certain degree is that there's a certain set of leaders who think that you can engineer a successful set of, you know, businesses or, you know, founding companies that it's like building a company. I can engineer that success. And uh, you and I both know that building a company, let alone helping a hundred people build their companies is all over the place. There's not one way to do it. There's so many variables. And so, Mostly what I do is go in and try to change their approach to how to do this. I, obviously, the book is a big you know, part of that. But part of me as a consultant or a coach is to say, I need you to think a little different. I need you to seed the, this, this control that you think you have to have. Because by controlling things, you very, you, you, by trying to control um, founders, you know the best founders don't want to be controlled. They're, they're disruptors. You're, you're pissing off or pushing away the best founders in your area by trying to organize, super organize and super control things. So lighten up on that. So that's the big problem across every city. So what, what would this long winded, but uh, you get the point, I hope. Yeah. So what, what do the cities do that try and control it, you know, or put like barriers in their way? Are there things that the cities are doing that are causing problems? Well, it's usually the individuals in certain cities, the individuals in certain roles think that you think somewhat hierarchically, that to get access to knowledge and capital and things, you have to kind of earn your way to, you know, to meet somebody or they highly curate in, uh, introductions or they hold back information that might be useful in order to you know, make money themselves or something. Those are all inhibitors to, to progress. We think of um, startup communities as more like a network of people there might be a few super connectors in there or super nodes, but it's not hierarchical. Um, there's no kiss the ring. There's no king of the community, right? There's no someone that owns it or is responsible for it. And so, um, you know, we see a lot of that behavior sometimes in entrepreneurial service organizations that have been around a long time. They somehow lose their mission of serving founders and start serving themselves for the betterment of their organization and miss the very founders they're supposed to serve. So, you see various elements of that in individuals um, and mostly because they don't know better. Well, I can definitely see that where 
a lot of startups, a lot of entrepreneurs, they just need support. They need referrals, they need networking, introduction to angel investors, introductions to all the different things that can support them. And yeah, if everybody's kind of gatekeeping all of those things because, oh, they're not good enough of an entrepreneur, or they don't have the pedigree or what, they're not old enough, whatever it is, right? Then it's like you're not necessarily hurting them, but you're not helping them. And so by not helping them, you're hurting them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you know that especially in the early days and especially for first time founders, you know, there's doubts and there's fears and I don't know what I don't know. And anytime you kind of create friction or slow down that process, you risk them losing the very thing they're trying to do and they fold up the tent and they go home. And, you know, you want more of those people, not less. So, you know, get out of your own way, serve, like one of the little tricks that I do a lot of times when I go and speak is I say all the current active full-time founders go to this side of the room. Everyone else go to this side of the room. And then I say to that last side, you have one job, help them succeed. If you want to oversimplify things, there's only two people in this world, founders and everyone else. And everyone else is your job is to help the founder. You do that more over and over and over again. They'll be more successful, make more better decisions, get more customers faster, get more capital faster. All those things have a positive lift and your startup community will will flourish. Well, and I think what most founders need more than anything, it, it's not necessarily mentors or capital or hiring employees or talent or any of those. It's customers. They need customers. Like if they get customers, they can usually solve a lot of the other challenges, right? And and that was one of the frustrations I had too with one of my last companies is, you know, a lot of the like bigger corporations and stuff like that in town you know, it was hard to get them to like try our software, be a customer and stuff like that. And, but that's a big way that they could have helped the local ecosystem was help, you know, if they can be a customer of those local companies, like that's the best thing they can do. Yeah. I I really great that you appreciate you bringing that up because in the book, I outlined that everyone has a role to play and they may be at different levels and different ways that you can do that. But like you mentioned earlier, like a corporation, being a first customer, um, giving them space to convene and get people together, um, being the beta customer, uh, you know, just giving, you know, product feedback or, or, or uh, marketing feedback, you know, corporations have the, you know, tons of talent all baked in it that if you just kind of get them connected to the startups can help little mini decisions, how to do Facebook ads better. Imagine some guy doing Facebook ads for your local consumer products company coming in and spending an hour a month just talking to founders about what's happening and what's the best way to be effective. All those little things. I, Matt, one of my favorite lines is, uh, success will be through a thousand nudges. So don't discount that your little nudge can be valuable because that on top of the other 999 are what can really propel a community and its founders forward. Absolutely. I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team today. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So one one of the other things I'm a big fan of is kind of, uh, I don't remember what the, the term for this is, but it's like you know entrepreneurship that gets kind of... Um, 
starts from the corporate and then gets spun out of corporate, right? So it's like most big companies have lots of things that they would like to do. They'd like to have this new business unit or new product or whatever, but they can't do it. Like they can't, they don't have the agility to do it. They can't get out of their way. There would be too much red tape. And that's one of my favorite types of entrepreneurship that I wish more cities and bigger corporations would do. Like here where we have T-Mobile here and AMC theaters and, and Garmin and some different places, right? And it's like, you know, do they have like things that they wish they had an entrepreneur could come in and help do if they could figure out how to work with the community to do those things? Yeah, I mean, you know, what's what's beautiful about the uh, the essence of a community is that there's lots of people with different talents at different stages in their life with different motivations and needs. And when they're all connected, I think it ha- it gives the environment that more of those things can happen. You know, I've been working on this, this uh, some thoughts over the last couple of weeks about where corporate innovation and startups, communities, where they can interact. And, you know, obviously startups break rules and they don't follow rules and the typically the best ones don't aren't you know well suited for corporations but they do have a lot of mindset differences that can that what's missing in most corporations corporations have time money space right existing customers and so i think you know in a lot of places these venture studios are a platform by which those two things come together sometimes indianapolis has one of the best ones and um how those two things can come together and help, you know, take those ideas and both parties can benefit from that by leveraging the best of what each group is good at. Yeah. We saw, we had some startup accelerators here in town and I don't remember what they were called anymore that were doing specific stuff around, um, FinTech. And there was one, there was, there was one that, um, there's a couple different ones and they were very themed. Right. And so, for like the fintech one, there was a local bank here that was throwing it and they wanted to invest in all of them and partner in all of them. And I call it, kind of saw it the same way, right? Like they're they're almost creating like they want to invest in these new products, new business ideas. And, and it was a way for them to bring all their expertise to that. It's kind of like a venture studio, but it was more like an accelerator, I think. Yeah. But I think that's a great way for them to do this as well. Like I said, there's so many ways. In my past, I ran a corporate venture fund for three or four years in the late nineties, I learned about how to be a venture capitalist. And, um, you know, the way that I viewed it is I can go invest in companies that you can't see yet. I called them over the horizon. You can't see the ship yet. It's coming your way. By the time you see it, it's too late, but I can invest in those things. You could learn a lot and maybe even by investing acquire partner, whatever, like you give, give you so many options. So, there's lots of different ways that corporations can can work. And by the way, no better than in their own community, because even all of those founders who might, some of them, you know, as you know, many of them fail, they become potential hiring, right? Right. Um, it's a talent, it's a, it's a workforce development play at some point. So that's, you know, a nicely well-integrated, um, very collaborative and supportive community of all the actors, corporations and their employees, government, you know, investors, founders, university researchers, when all of those things work together, great things happen. So tell me more about your your book, Build the Fort. Um, I guess, first of all, tell us the story of the name. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, I've, you know, obviously we did MapQuest and I, there's a, a gentleman, Marshall Clark, and I have worked together three or four times over a, probably a 20 year period. And whenever we sat down to start talking about a new idea, we 
and by now we talk in code, Matt, not, I'm not, I'm like, I'm sure you and, and your, uh, your podcast partner, <clears throat> you can finish each other's sentences. Well, our metaphor for building a startup was building a fort. And when I later, we'd laugh about it and where we're going to steal the wood and, you know, whose dad has a tarp and a hammer. Um, when we took that metaphor and broke it down, what we're really trying to do is to say, how do we simplify things? How do we, how do we act like we're 10 years old? So Matt, where'd you grow up? Kansas. I was born in Oklahoma, but I've always basically lived in Kansas City. Got it. So when you were kids, did you build forts when you were 10 or 12? Heck yeah. And I have four little boys that build them every day now. Exactly. And the idea is, you know, if, if I asked you, you know, think about us being 10 and we're neighbors and I say, Hey Matt, you want to build a fort? And you say, heck yeah. Heck yeah. It took you about three nanoseconds to decide that. Well, the adult version is like, well, I don't know if I know anything about fort building. I don't know where we're going to get the wood and we have no money, right? Like, doesn't that sound like a, the adult perspective, right? So the whole idea of build a fort is simplify, simplify, simplify. It's a metaphor that I'm using for all my books. <clears throat> Excuse me. My first one was how to start anything. The next one is actually how to build your ecosystem. But uh, it's just kind of breaking it down to five simple lessons or rules um, and the first one is just share it with your friends and everyone else. Share your idea. Just like, hey, do you want to build a fort? Um, and I think it's a really great metaphor. And it seems to like everyone has built forts. <laughs> when I'm on stage and I'm keynoting and some, you know, I ask, how many people have an idea? 98% of the hands go up, right? So everyone has an idea. Um, so I'm trying to hopefully simplify the, the fear and the magic that you and I are well aware of. I think it's a great analogy. And like I said, I have, I have four sons and their favorite thing to do is build forts. Like if they could do anything today, it would be build a fort. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so envious of them, right? Wouldn't you like to go back to there? How simple things were just to build a fort. So my last company Stackify, when we, uh, at one point were building out the office and stuff and, but instead of buying cubicles, we bought giant Legos. And we built, we used those to build like walls between desks and stuff, kind of like cubicle walls because the company was called Stackify and whatever. And it was just something kind of fun to do. And uh, anyways, we sold that company a couple of years ago and we, during COVID, we closed the office and all this stuff. And so I have like a thousand of those blocks in my basement. I'm coming over, road trip, bring the truck. <laughs> and the, the boys, every, almost every day, they're down there building something down there. It's, yeah. Everybody loves to build a fort. Well, it's very creative. It exercises a certain part of your brain. And uh, tell them never to lose that kind of 10-year-old mentality of building forts. It'll work yeah. for them later in life. Absolutely. So tell us more about the book and you know other lessons that, that we could learn from the book. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, regardless of what city you're sitting in, you should have some type of startup community kind of going on. And if it's not, then you should allocate some time to do it. It's that important, right? Um, if you have any doubts, you know, call me and I'm going to talk to you, but like having, you know, the idea of a economic development group, you know, the job creation is through convincing T-Mobile to move from Kansas city to Paducah, Kentucky, right? Those days are long gone. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get, your economy is not going to be diversified. You, you better have a startup community to build, you know, these organic bottom up, kind of things. And if you don't, if you're not intentional about that, the best entrepreneurs are going to move out of your city and go to places that are doing that better. So that's the why. Um, the how is 
uh, it's really what the book's about. I said the mindset. One of the more interesting things that I think you can, that someone can glean from that is every community is at like a different stage of maturity. So I've laid out four stages. And the key to that is not to compare yourself, Kansas City to St. Louis or Chicago or Nashville, but to understand that if I'm sitting around this level, I should be focusing on these things. And it's only when I get more mature would I maybe focus on a greater number of things. So I outlined seven drivers that every community should focus on. Not that it's linear, but I'm kind of going to do them in somewhat of an order. The first thing is you have to have really good leadership that sets the culture of entrepreneurship in the town. Second is you need to develop founders and you're never done inspiring new founders to jump in. Then mentorship, then uh, investors, and then corporate, uh, university, and government. And again, not that I have to wait to do all those, those three at the end, but you got to have a good pipeline of founders going before you can try to recruit and bring more capital in. Capital always lags, right, where yeah. the founders are. So I talk about how to do an audit of your community, work on that with three or four other people, find, and this is all build the Ford stuff, right? Build a Ford of an audit, figure out what you're good at, figure out where you're at, maybe benchmark yourself against others and then figure out how to go forward and what kind of things you can do. So it's very field guide-ish. So do you, do most cities also just struggling knowing what all the resources are? Like knowing that we have this accelerator, we have these funds, we have these startup events, like we have these founders, these startups are even in town. Like do most of them really struggle with that? Or in this day, have they kind of figured out how to map that out or their websites to help map that stuff out or? Most communities are not at that stage yet. I mean, you know, Kansas City is uh, what you've exhibited and felt is is actually fairly mature, even for your size, right? So, so maturity in an ecosystem has nothing to do with size, right? It's that it's operationally optimized, right? You have you have you have various ways that entrepreneurs can start. You have programs, and you have a culture where people, you and I, get introduced, and we have a coffee, and I ask you what's what are you you know challenged by, and I I help you, right? That's both a cultural as well as a specific advice kind of thing. So that's why you have to build these foundations. Most communities have not built a solid enough foundation. They might be starting some of the activities. They might have a local accelerator. They might have a co-working space, but they're kind of still siloed and disconnected. And, you know, this is a power move, right? The bigger your network and the tighter the network, the more you can get the things you need faster and quicker. And so in many places, they're still very disconnected, very siloed. And then layer on some bad things. Many of these places, you have certain individuals or organizations saying, I'm the guy, or I'm the woman, or I'm the organization. And now you're actually, like you said earlier, you're actually being counterproductive. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're preventing. And, and by the way, you and I both know this. The best founders see that bullshit and say, I don't have time for it. So they either disengage locally or they pick up and move. Well, I don't, I don't know if, if such a thing already exists, but I wish there was a website that was like the startup map.com or something. And you could put in your city and it would tell you like all the different things that are going on in your city, you know, um, not necessarily, you know, call Chris and here's his phone number, but you know, <laughs> these are the different events. These are the organizations that are here. Like, Oh, we have, Hoffman and we have 1 million cups and we have pipeline and we have this accelerator and we have all these things. But 
there's just so many pieces to it. And, you know, when you meet other entrepreneurs, it, it kind of blows their mind when you start telling them like, oh, there's these 50 things that exist in Kansas City you could take advantage of. And then like where to start with all of it. Um, but one of my favorites that is definitely different state by state are things like tax credits or grants. And there's a lot of those too that people just have no idea that exist. Yeah. So if I can, I'd love to pick up on kind of the idea of a front door to the startup community. And many cities have okay versions of that or some versions of that. Here's my kind of alternative thinking belief. I Back to this network thing. If you find three people to start with and those people introduce you to three other people, you're at nine. And those people introduce you to three other people and you're at 27, right? I'm going to guarantee you within those first set of probably 15 to 20 meetings that you're going to hear about every accelerator, co-working space, grant program, whatever. So I'm not arguing against the front door. I'm more saying the best way, the quickest way to do it is just put yourself out there, yeah. ask three people and ask them to connect you to three other people and then be willing to get out and do that. I kind of think it's one of the secrets to be a good entrepreneur is you don't mind having a cold call coffee with someone, right? That you well, get introduced to. And I've learned a lot over the years that I, I would meet with people and I have no expectation of that, how they, like how they could help me. Um, but you just never know like who they know, right? Like there's a couple degrees of separation and, and I have a good example of this. I'm going to guess if I ask you, do you know anybody who is a plumber, electrician, or does HVAC work? Do you know anybody? No, lots of people. Or they're at least all, one of each. <laughs> they're all potential customers for me. Can you introduce me? Yeah, of course. There we go. Oh. See, just like that. That's all you got to do. Yeah. I, I spend probably half an hour a day on average making introductions to people even if they didn't even ask me, right? Did I just think, and um, Matt, we call those serendipitous sparks. Yeah. You never know when you connect those two people. And so when I talk about the cultural foundation that needs to be there, it's things like I'm willing to make an introduction without asking permission or getting double opt-in or having a reason. I just think you two should meet, right? Yeah. So to, so to follow up to my weird question, I'm the CEO of a digital marketing company for home services. So it's like, my point is like, everybody knows somebody who's a plumber or HVAC or something. Like I have an uncle that is like, everybody knows somebody. Uh, but, but point is, it's like, those are the random connections, right? You just never know who you're going to meet and who they know and, and all that stuff. But uh, my next question for you though, is to talk about ecosystem building and it's super important, but how do you feel like remote has changed all of this? Yeah, I think it's going to be unbelievably good for building startup communities and entrepreneurial ecosystems. And the reason is that those very talented people that have been sitting in San Francisco at Facebook, right? Or at Google in the New York office, um, these powerhouse hubs and the remote work and the, and you know, this desire to maybe go back where I grew up or yeah. go to where my wife's family is. Cause now I'm popping out kids you're seeing that everywhere. I mean, we've been seeing that in Raleigh-Durham for 10 years easily, right? People coming from New York and yeah. Atlanta, they're tired of the big cities. No, no judgment, right? Great part when you're in your 20s, maybe not so much when you're in your 30s, right? So as each of those people kind of parachute into these, they become potential agents, right? They bring with them experiences, their network, right? We just talked about making introductions, right? All of those are super additive to a community where that may not have been as connected or easily as connected um, prior to this. And I think COVID completely accelerated all of that. And now I see power 
in what would typically be a tier two or tier, even a tier three city, you know, you see people moving back and they just raise the whole knowledge experience level up tremendously. Now we just got to make sure that they're roped in, right? That they're connected um, and that they have a give first mentality. Like Kansas City, we have certain types of talent we have a lot of, and then there's certain types of talent that's super hard to find. Like, so for example, if I want to hire somebody who had a ton of experience running marketing or, or product marketing for SaaS companies, not a whole lot of people in Kansas City have done that. There's a, a small handful, right? But in Silicon Valley, there are probably a lot of people. But you know, if the company, like my company embraced remote, it's like, well, now I can hire somebody anywhere in the US that has that skill set, and that would help us grow tremendously. And I think that's the thing is companies have to, a lot of companies are, are embracing remote. You know, you, you hear now mumblings about remote going away and whatever, but especially for startups, if they continue to embrace remote, it's those key, ta- the key talent that they can't hire locally. They've, they've got to accept hiring remotely. Matt, I'm going to sound like a broken record. It all comes back to the network that you build and activate when you need it, you know, or you build it, you don't build it when you need it, you build it and, uh, and leverage it. And I got to be honest, I didn't really kind of understand or learn that till probably 15 years ago. Um, but I now understand the power of that, of that network. And I'll give you a perfect example. After spending five years helping cities all over the world build their startup communities, I decided to get off the airplane and I want to go back to my town of Raleigh-Durham and see what I could do. I saw a gap. I wanted to pull an event together that was really celebration of founders um, and it was called Raleigh Durham Startup Week. Uh, we ran two, you know, each one in the last two years. I reached out to a bunch of people and I said, would you like to join me in this for journey? It's all volunteer. Um, they brought some of their friends in. We're up to about 20 to 22 volunteers who meet every other week. We divide our, you know, our tasks up. And that happens because I activated my network on an idea I had. And because I had previously helped support and you know, give advice or main introductions. People were, oh my God, I'd love to attend this. This this ought to be fun and impactful. And that's why you do this thing called network. This is why you have those coffees. This is why you do the introductions. So you can go hire that guy in Portland, Oregon, who's been a fantastic product manager, who has no interest in moving, but really loves the company that you're working on, right? So how do you how do you get those local people to support the entrepreneurs entrepreneurs um, community? Because part of the part of the issue I have is like I go to a local startup event and maybe I do a little presentation about my company or whatever, and it helps with publicity and all that. It's great, but then afterwards I have twenty people that come up to me that are accountants, lawyers, wealth <laughs> management, IT recruiters. It's just a bunch of people trying to sell me stuff. And I, I feel like that's that's part of the issue is 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 a lot of people that are involved in the community they're only they're only doing it because there's something in it for them, you know. Like there's not very many people like you that are like you know what I don't I don't really have a vested interest in this I just do it because I do it and I enjoy it and I'm giving back. So I was recorded a podcast today also about influencers and people wanting to build an authority in a space and a big part of what we talked about was you can't just go out there and sell 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 like nobody wants to listen to that you've you've got to give you've got to teach people tutorials, educational content, you give, give, give. And, and I think that goes directly with what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it totally has, uh, I think the two, the two work, I mean, there's so much noise out there. If you're not authentic and you're not building this long tail of connections, I'm not sure how you cut through the noise and you get what you need to get done. Um, 
you know, I, I said earlier, success is through a thousand nudges. It happens for you too, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm promoting this book. I'll probably end up doing, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 podcasts, uh, interviews with, with, uh, you know, you know, the Oklahoma star, I'm making that up, right? Like, you know, you can't pick and choose the, the tactic that's going to make you explode, right? I really believe in the long tail. And, and I think it applies to everything. I, I, I view the world as a network. I view the, you know, I view the world as building as many meaningful connections as possible. And those will all benefit me in the long run, especially, and they'll benefit other people, which darn it feels good. You just never know. So tell us more about your book. And uh, for those who are listening, you know, who, who is the right person that should buy this book? Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, if you care about kind of your startup community or entrepreneur ecosystem in your town, that's regardless of whether you're a future founder or a current founder, an investor, a high net worth family that kind of, you know, wants to see their community succeed um, in economic development, in the government, city, state, county, federal. Um, if you're a university uh, instructor about entrepreneurship or a researcher that's going to come up with the next mind blowing idea that you want to commercialize, you see where I'm going here. Uh, government, if you're a corporation who knows that your success is based on a thriving local economy, um, which means I think I hit just about everyone, didn't I? <laughs> I think, you know, I'd love to see you take a read of the book and see and, and then act on it and say, all right, what can I do to engage me and my organization or my entity uh, in my startup community? How can I just show up and go to a coffee at 1 million cups or a, you know, or a happy hour event celebrating someone raising a bunch of money? How can I show up and see if there's something I can do to help them succeed? Because the indirect benefits to me will be apparent years later. Awesome. Do you, do you guys have 1 million cups in Raleigh? Yeah. I mean, there's hundreds of 1 million cups all over the, yeah. you know, it came out of Kaufman and obviously they started in KC, but started in Kansas city. I was one of the first people to, uh, to, to pitch at that. So yeah. Yeah. I've done 1 million cup presentations in probably at least six or seven cities just nice. in the last couple of years. So nice. It's a, it's a great vehicle. Again, the thing itself almost doesn't matter. It's just bringing people together that have a similar interest. That's what it's all about. Yep. Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that works only for you. Please visit FullScale.io to learn more. So, Chris, it's been awesome to have you on the show. I don't know if you gave us the complete map of how to do this ecosystem, but it, sound, it sounds like your book might be that map. And uh, if, if people are interested in supporting the local startup scene, they should, they should definitely check out the book. Well, thanks, Matt. I enjoyed uh, being on your show and uh, look forward to us connecting in the future somehow, some way. All right. Thank you so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>